Welcome to Image Talks Fertility, an image first podcast where we deep dive into all things fertility, brought to you in partnership with Waterstone Clinic. This episode, we're going to be talking about the fertility journeys of same sex couples. I'll be joined by Sarah, who's mum to three gorgeous children with her female partner, Jer. Later, we'll be joined by Ursula Lynch. Ursula is a fertility nurse specialist and the donor sperm coordinator at Waterstone Clinic. Family owned and operated, Waterstone Clinic is a leader in fertility excellence with two decades of reproductive medicine experience. Waterstone Clinic has built a family of five clinics in Dublin, Cork, Kildare, Limerick and Waterford. The clinic uses pioneering fertility science, making even the most advanced fertility services available to patients in Ireland, and they are renowned for their exceptional patient care. Fertility is one of those words that encompasses so much, from IVF and egg freezing and surrogacy to endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome and reduced ovarian reserves. It's medical, it's scientific, but it's also deeply emotional and a topic that's often mirrored in mystery and sometimes misunderstood entirely. It contains the highest miracle highs and the lowest heartbreaking lows. It is quite literally what makes us human. My name is Dominique McMullen and I'm Image Media's Editorial Director and mum to Kai, who is two and a half, and Freddie, who is just five months old. In this mini-series, in partnership with Waterstone Clinic, I'll be talking to women whose fertility journeys offer hope and mirror the paths that so many of you are walking. In conjunction, I'll be putting your fertility questions to the experts and hoping to help guide you and provide advice for you and your family in what can be the most challenging time. It's certainly not an easy road becoming an LGBTQ plus parent, and unfortunately in some regards, especially in Ireland. But should you have the funds and the will, there is a growing and sometimes dizzying array of options now available. Today I'm chatting to Sarah. Sarah and her partner have three kids, Lachlan who's four, Grayson who's two and a half, and Willow who is just eight months old. Sarah carried Lachlan and Willow and Jer, her partner, carried Grayson, and their story is one of our times and a beautiful example for families starting down the same path. So welcome, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm delighted to chat to you this morning. Um, so how are you and how is everybody? How's all the kids and the family and, and you're busy, I imagine? Yeah, well, well, as expected with three children, it's it's nonstop. The, the laundry doubles during the night and uh, it's a <laughs> It's a it's a constant battle sometimes, like this morning getting dressed. But in general, we're we're good. We're all good. We're healthy. Good. I I mean I have two, and the busyness and the laundry is out of this world. So I don't know how you can add one more to that mix. Fair play. <laughs> um. So let's go back to the beginning. Did you kind of always imagine a house with lots of children? Was that something that was always on the cards for you? Um. 
I think like there's there's probably like a good deal wrapped up in that for someone who is gay, right? Because yeah. um when you're when you know you're gay um early on, you kind of I guess sometimes, especially, you know, I'm I'm a little bit I'm mature, I'm gonna put it that way, right? So back then there wasn't really a lot of visibility around gay people or having families. Mm. So there was an element of it kind of felt like <clears throat> I was never gonna have children. Um certainly never with a woman. Um although I I I my absolute dream um, and my dream still today is the vision of sitting around a dining table at Christmas with all of my children, their partners and all of my grandchildren. So that's kind of what I think my, my life's desire is. But certainly, you know, when I was a teenager, I felt maybe that wasn't going to happen for me. Um, and so I kind of settled on. I kind of knew, obviously, I wasn't going to marry a man. So I kind of thought and I, I at the time I wasn't out. So I kind of settled on the idea of being a single mom. Um, and I said, well, I'll, I'll definitely have kids, whatever happens, but probably not too many kids because, you know, recognizing being a single mom would be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I always wanted kids. But, you know, I guess uh, the the way it's happened for me is the absolute dream come true. The, the perfect dream. It's so amazing, isn't it? How much uh, how much the world has changed in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to presume your age, but I'm guessing you're around the same age as me. You're in your 30s. I'll I'll tell you I'm 41. Oh no way! <laughs> oh you're you're very oh, you kind. look great. <laughs> <laughs> I need we need to talk skincare after the <laughs> Um wow sorry I did I thought you were I thought you were in your 30s your early 30s um but isn't it amazing how much the world has changed in that time and that now I would hope I would imagine teenagers who are gay know that they can have a family with their partner which yeah. really is bare minimum, you know, to be able to, what they should be able to have easily, um, not easily, which we're going to talk about now. So um, how did you and Jeremy meet? Did you kind of have the relationship or the children chat in your relationship early on or how did that go? Yeah, um, so we met at, much like mo- many other couples, I presume, you met at a, a disco of sorts. <laughs> Um, on, uh, it was well it was it was like a it was like a uh, an LGBT get together um, and it was actually St. Patrick's Day eight years ago so wow. we're, we're together eight years um, and we talked about children in the first three hours we knew each other which potentially wow. is is not that strange for lesbian couples I'd, I'd probably say um, but I think there was an element of where we were both kind of getting a little bit older and you kind of want to like cut straight to the chase as whether, you know, this is someone. So it was in a very casual way. I'm not saying we had an intense chat, um, <laughs> but it was in a very casual way. So um, it kind of went on from there. And then it was just like this, I guess, very being on the same page feeling um, in the early part of a relationship that we were moving towards. Um, and you have to remember when when we met, um, when we started going out, marriage was not legal um, here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when we got engaged, marriage wasn't legal either. We were actually the first couple to get married in Roscommon, which is the only place you voted no. So that's our little claim to, to fame and history. Um, but, you know, we, it, it wasn't an option, even marriage. So, um, but yeah, like we were very much on the same page that we both wanted kids um, and we had been saving before we met for that to happen. Um, so, you know, yeah. on the same page. That's, that's absolutely incredible. I cannot imagine how that conversation goes like, hey, will I get you a pint? You <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. 
and it, and so you were you'd been saving already that that's amazing that's something that I suppose as a gay woman you just if you know you how want to have kids you know yeah, as yeah. Early as possible that's tough that, that's a difficult thing to be having a bank account aside for children that early on is mad yeah um, yeah but so you you'd you'd had the conversation um, you'd already started saving. So I'm presuming you were quite educated at that point too. Were there any kind of concerns you had or um, did you know how you were going to get started straight away? Or like, how did you start? I mean, did you say, okay, now it's about the time, let's have a go? Well, I mean, there was an element of um, I'm pushing on. I'm not getting any younger here. My eggs are falling out of me by the day. So um, <laughs> I probably need to get going on this. I mean, the, the, the way we started is we obviously did our research around um, a kind of key thing that we realized quite early on. So you said Ireland has changed a lot for LGBT people in, in recent years. It's only Lachlan's four. And when I was pregnant with Lachlan, it was not, um, Ger was not going to be his parent when he was born. Um, she was going to be a legal stranger to him. Um, when Grayson was born two and a half years ago, that was, same thing was true, right? We only got rights over both of our children, um, you know, relatively recently. With it was Willow, 2020, quite, was it? With the yeah, 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 exactly. It was in a, in a bedroom here during the pandemic. We went on with the judge and, and got those rights. So Willow was, Willow was a very different story. So there's a lot of tied up in kind of knowing and accepting, but we knew the legislation was coming in. So actually part of our research was around what can we do now to set ourselves up to make sure that when the time comes, our children will be re legally recognized. So we had done our research to know that we would have to use a clinic, that we would have to use um, a known donor in the sense known to the children when they turned 18. Um, so we had done a ton of research and we also had done, there's an element and I can only speak for myself. I'm not speaking for all LGBT couples when I say this, but I certainly went through a period of myself and Ger were very close to our fathers and we did kind of go, is this the right thing? I'm not saying a lot of people, I'm not saying everyone feels that way, but for us, it was like, is this the right thing? Um, and we, you know, we kind of talked that out and we, we, you know, we concluded that parenting is about personalities and, you know, we have two personalities that we felt our children would benefit from and our home would be full of love. So we decided to proceed with that. So once we did our research, then I guess that the biggest part was probably selecting the donor, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, now, I think, you know, you could fall down a rabbit hole in terms of donor selection. You could get way too deep on who the donor is. And mm -hmm. it's, it's it's kind of limiting your child, assuming that they're going to be anything like the donor. Yeah. Um, so we kind of like, to, you know, we talked about that and, and made some decisions um, uh, and selected our, our, our donor. And then for us, you know, at the time um, we decided to try um, IUI first. Now, I went first because I'm older. So I'm three years older than Jer. So we both wanted okay. to carry. We were simple. very, yeah, we were very clear on the fact we both wanted to carry. And we went into the journey hoping both of us could carry because for many couples, mm -hmm. you know, maybe one would like to carry and it's not possible for them or, you know, one doesn't want to carry. So it all depends on each individual couple, but we knew that's what we wanted to do. Um, so <clears throat> we decided uh, against, for again, for us personally, we, we decided against reciprocal IVF because... Okay. For a very kind of, I guess, mushy reason, right? Which is, I wanted a little piece of Jer in the world. Um, and I didn't care that I wasn't biologically or in any way connected to that child. I just wanted a little piece of her in the world because I knew that's 
Can you explain, sorry, to just for every anyone who's listening who might not know what reciprocal IVF is? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So reciprocal IVF is basically when, um, you know, you take my eggs and fertilize them and then put them back in your partner to yeah. actually um, carry uh, the child full term. Um, so the idea obviously is that one person is the biological mother and the other person would be the gestational mother, um, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided that just wasn't something we wanted to do. We were very happy with, as I said, having a little piece of each other in the world. And that was quite an intentional choice for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we just didn't want to do that. So, well, like we did IVF, for, or sorry, we did IUI for a while, but we did maybe four tries. Uh, you know, th- one of the things about going through this process is that the drugs are very difficult on your body. And it's not just that, it's your whole life revolves around the process during that time. So you're injecting. I remember waking up at 2 a.m. to like take a trigger shot. Um, it's, it's just not a lot of fun. And then you, you go into every cycle with this hope that it's going to take. And I remember on the first one, we were like, this is definitely going to take the first time. And then it didn't. And then it didn't again. And I remember going to a, a friend's wedding and that day it failing as well. Um, and just like, it's just a lot. So we, we, I, I think we ultimately decided, let's just, just go for the IVF because then at least we'll know where we stand, right? So we would know whether... There was a problem with um, the eggs or the embryos. Yeah. Um, so we decided then to proceed with the, the IVF side of things. So so again, so IUI is artificial insemination, yeah. which is um, a little, I mean, like I'm using air quotes here, but a little more natural in that yeah. it's, you know, you are still follically stimulated and that's the shots that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, IVF, you have more of a clear path because the egg is um inseminated or uh, given inseminated and left to um to then be put into the woman so you're you're a little little more straightforward again just for anybody who's who's listening yeah and and i suppose the ioi thing is you're absolutely right it's the more natural thing so it's trying to encourage your body to do what it needs to do with giving it a little bit of encouragement with um additional hormones Mm -hmm. um so it does increase your chance of pregnancy a little bit and uh, you know some people are extremely lucky and many of them i know who got pregnant on one iui um and you know that can come down to like so many factors like in my case I ended up having some tests and I had some block, a blockage in my tube. So obviously it meant the egg wasn't getting down to be fertilized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you learn a lot during the process. Um, so then, yeah, we, we went for the IVF. Now, IVF obviously is like different stages, right? It's a much longer process in the sense that um, you do your egg collection. And uh, so they give you uh, the drugs to make sure they stimulate eggs and then they can collect them at a point. Mm-hmm. Um it's very it's 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 hard right it's hard on a woman right because um I felt I was I, I remember saying to my friends I felt like I was dragging around like a black bin liner inside my body of eggs I was I felt so kind of bloated before yeah. the egg collection and then obviously egg, egg collection you know you're very tender after that mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. you're, you're filled with hope they're going to get enough eggs has it all been a waste of time um so you know again very lucky we also made the decision at that point that we were going to test our embryos. So you can choose not to test your embryos or you can choose to test them. Interesting. Okay. And what does that, what does that involve you testing them to see how, how strong they are, how likely they are? Well, here's again, I'm not a medical expert, right. But, um, again, because I was pushing on in life, um, 
my understanding of, you know, miscarriage is that it's sometimes there is an abnormality or, you know, chromosomal issue with the embryo. Right. Um, And it can be for loads of different reasons. Um, And so what the testing does is it tests the the, the, your egg to or your your embryos to um, ensure that it's kind of uh, the best it can be in terms of chromosomal elements. And again, I'm not the expert on this, but um, so we decided to do that. So if if you think about it, um, I got I think I got from my memory, I got 14 eggs, seven of seven of them fertilized and two of them were um, normal. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously if you go through that process, there's no going back, you know, whatever is not normal is not up for, for an option for you. So I had two, which brought a huge amount of anxiety because I thought, oh God, two goes. There's only two, right? Mm. Um, you only need one. Exactly. And, uh, in theory, you know, I think it's the, after testing, these embryos are 70%, um, likely to end in pregnancy. So, um, you know, we felt that was a, a something we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we proceeded with that and, uh, yeah, I got pregnant on Lachlan, um, from that. And honestly, I did not enjoy the pregnancy. I was anxious all the time, incredibly anxious all the time. I just was like, is the pregnancy going to stick? Is it going to stay? Um, I remember my, I might be when I was four months, my sister was coming up for a concert in Dublin that I was supposed to go with her, but I had like horrendous cramping. So I was like, oh my God, I'm losing the baby. Um, but something like a lot of people don't talk about in early pregnancy is there is a lot of cramping because there's a lot of growing and changing in your body. And it's not something women talk about a lot. So I was just living this. And I remember my wife at the time saying to me, you've just become completely insular. You're not communicating with me because I was in my head so much of the time, just so anxious about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first three months, you're continuing to take drugs. So you have to take drugs, obviously, to support your pregnancy because it is not a natural pregnancy. So you don't have the same kind of hormones going on in your body as you would in a certain, you know, if your if your body was in sync. So that's what all the drugs are designed to do. Um, and then it's not pleasant. Like it is not pleasant. It's, um, you know, it's it's three months of, um, you know, pestries and uh you know, tablets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on uh, blood thinners as well. So injecting myself in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the funny thing is, I remember going, this is horrendous. I would never go through this again. But you forget. you, you uh, it, it, In that moment of your time, it is horrendous. But then it's like, you know, completely. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's completely distant. So yeah, like the, the, the only time I stopped being anxious literally was the day that Lachlan came out. And then, of course, you know, parenting started. So I haven't stopped worrying since. But that's a whole other problem. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was, you know, the, the 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 pregnancy, it is, I guess, difficult because you're you're worrying about that element of it, um, which I think is normal for a lot of women. Yeah. And, you know, with a few different interviews that we've done um, over the last year, certainly with IVF women, I think it's very common. And I don't think it's something that's spoken about at all. Mm that anxiety um because you've it's been such a journey and so difficult even to get to that point and then mm-hmm. it's you can't just turn it off you know that yeah. worry and that 
Yeah. Well, well, what's interesting is as well, I I consider myself to have a a very unique position in the sense that I have been the person who's gone through IVF, but I have also been the partner of someone who has gone through IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the same. I've been on maternity, but I've also been on the paternity leave part of it, if you will. Um, So it gives you a fascinating insight because I think. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through IVF, I was all about myself was, and I was worrying about everything. And I kind of felt like this is all on me. It's my fault. If this pregnancy doesn't work out, it's all on me. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the only one who can protect this child at this point and there's no one else in the world. But what's interesting is when we went through the same process with Jer and we went straight to IVF. So we didn't, we didn't do IUI. We just said, no, we know what we're doing now. We kind of know like in terms of the financials of it. Yeah. So, um, cause I suppose like, unlocked and if I think about how much money we spent on I on the IUI, we could have saved ourselves a lot of money by just cutting straight to the chase, yeah. if I'm being totally yeah. honest. Yeah. Um so on Jer we just went straight to um IVF. Again, she ended up with three embryos. So you know we were in a good a, a good place there. Um but it's so interesting when you're the partner, I don't think and I, you know and I do want to say that it, it does give you a perspective on in some ways, what it's like to be the male in a in a straight relationship, right? Because you're you just want the baby to come out so you can get your hands on it. Because there's not much else you can do during that period except support the person. Um, yeah. And you know, it's funny. Like on Lachlan, I had a bit of morning sickness, but I often think now looking back, it was mostly anxiety. Like it was mostly like anxiety making me sick. Mm-hmm. Um, Jer obviously had hers but we you know we we were at the point where it's funny even though it wasn't one of us having our second child it was our second child so we knew so much more about the process the feelings she'd say to me is this normal I'd be like absolutely when she was having bad days I could say reassure her and go yes that's exactly you know kind of what I was feeling Mm -hmm. so you know she probably definitely had less anxiety and she would say herself like she wasn't really that anxious at all because she felt that um, she had me there to go, yeah, that's normal, or this is what's going to happen, or, you know, so it was a, it was a, a, I guess, a more comforting experience for her. I couldn't imagine a more comforting to have your partner who has literally been through the same thing is such a special thing to have for any woman going through that. Um, yeah. And I, I do, I do joke and say that, you know, Grayson's my favorite because he didn't hurt me on the way out. <laughs> they just handed me to him and I was like, it was love at first sight, but I didn't have to go through any of the pain of growing yeah. him. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we have been very fortunate there. And so which, which kind of, I suppose is negatives and positives to both journeys, but it was it more difficult to watch Jer going through it and, and not be able to, you know, there was, yeah there was I wouldn't Jer is a very strong individual um so she she knows her way in the world and um you know it, it's just like gentle reassurance she needs you know I don't think she's as anxious as I am um you know she you know even with the parenting I remember when Lachlan came home from the hospital I was trying to figure out how I'd ever make tea again it's like my brain had turned to mush and <laughs> I, I I realized I'd never changed a nappy and things like that yeah. and she was all over it straight away so um you know certainly there was there's benefits there um but yeah no it was it I, I guess it's a we just knew so much more going into it and we were ready to kind of support her or knew what 
disappointments we might have, I guess, if that makes sense, yeah, and we're able yeah. to support each other through it. And then we obviously from again, everyone's different, but our kids all have the same donor because we, you know, describe ourselves as a bookended family. So some of us are not related to um, each other, like me and Jer, but all of the kids are related to each other. So we kind of bookend each other. We're all interconnected. Yeah. Um, but that, again, is a choice that we made for ourselves. Um, for me personally, it was important because I felt, you know, we were we, we were very deliberate that before even the law came in, we wanted our kids to have the opportunity to connect with their donor when they're 18 because I know some people have anxiety about that, but for us, it was like, well, I met the donor. I give him a big hug and thank him for our incredible children. I don't see it as anything else but that. Mm. But we felt that we didn't want our kids to have different experiences with different donors. So what if one donor was like amazing and answered their questions and the other donor wasn't? We wanted our kids to have the same experience and be united in that experience because we felt that would kind of help them if they had questions in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they're in, they're in it together. Yeah, they're yeah. In it together. Yeah, and and in terms of the um, Family Relationships Act as well, it helps uh, if you if you if you have a non traceable don sperm donor. Sorry, tongue tied this morning. Um, there's issues then legally, isn't there? Yeah, it has to be. You have to get pregnant in a clinic. You have to use a donor that is unknown to you, but mm-hmm. can be known to the child when they're eighteen. So that 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 is the rules, which in itself causes problems because it's not cheap to go through a fertility clinic. And so it's not an it's not an option for people. I mean, we were so lucky on Willow, right? Because remember, I was telling the story. I had two embryos, one's yeah. locked and one's Willow. Oh. Um, so the, the the anxiety around Willow, actually, when we went back into it was I only have one. Yeah, I feel like I'm. I'm too old to go back into this again, even though that embryo is 37 or whatever it was at the time. Um, I just felt like, oh, what if something happens in the defrost, which is another anxiety people have to think about is that, you know, the morning of they obviously defrost the embryo. Not all embryos survive. Um, So I was hugely anxious. And I remember them ringing me the morning and thinking, oh, God, it's not survived the defrost. And they were like, oh, no, we're just ringing to see if you have any COVID symptoms. Um, So, (laughs) you know, I was like, oh, God. Um, So again, you know, and I think the thing as well is when you go through IVF, one of the things they do is when you go into the room, they put the embryo up in a screen, right? So you see the embryo before it goes into you. So there's kind of that like strange connection where you're like, there it is. There is the hope and possibility of a child. And when you've been through it twice, you kind of are like, you know what that can turn out like and the joy that brings. Mm. But on Willow, I started vomiting six days after the transfer. So I I was pretty confident. I I said, I remember saying to Jer, oh, I'm pregnant. I don't need to take a test. It was like, and I, I was, I was vomiting for like 14 weeks or something. Um, it was really rough on the old, um, morning sickness that time. But the, yeah, like, and actually it's really funny how blasé become, I guess, like maybe the further in you go, because I remember one night on Willow, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was having a bleed Mm -hmm. and I kind of was like, Oh God, Oh God, like I'm bleeding. And I, I called Jar. I was like, Jar, Jar, come in. And she, she kind of stumbles around the corner and looks at me and she's like, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> and she went back to bed. 
<laughs> and uh, she was right. It was right. Because again, you know, in early stage of pregnancies, you get little bleeds as, you know, your embryo on beds and things like that. So, um, you know, and I was convinced that Willow, convinced Willow was a boy because um, I thought I have two embryos. What are the chances that one's a boy and one's a girl? Like, what are the chances of that? Um, so, yeah, when she, we, we didn't find out this time because we felt in the pandemic, it was just no good news. So we felt like, let's not find out until Lovely. the birth. Yeah. Um, so we were beyond shocked when it was a girl, beyond shocked. <laughs> I, I had I, Freddie six months now and I thought he was a, a girl as well and he came out as a boy the little kind of held out over my head <laughs> little penis appeared and I was like oh <laughs> shit I only have girls names <laughs> well the, the 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 consultant had said to me because it was a planned section um she said now when you see what it is I want you to shout it out so I was <laughs> like okay so she when she pulled her out um I literally, we have a video of it. I'm saying, it's a, oh my God, it's a girl. <laughs> out of my head on, out of my head on all the drugs as well. But, um, and then Jerry stopped recording because she just started bawling crying. So um, it was just very emotional to have uh, a daughter and the three of them are hilarious together. And how was your um, experience then of like the pandemic? I mean, you have three very young children and you gave birth in a pandemic, which is a whole different thing. Um, yeah. How did you find all that? So I think like like a lot of women, I was kind of anxious in the run up to what would the restrictions be? Because I had a very difficult birth on Lachlan. Um, so that's why I had a planned section on Willow. So I was I had kind of worked a lot with the, you know, the, the hospital, the, the rotunda to be like, what? Um, you know, making sure that, you know, it was a section and this would happen and this would happen and I wouldn't have a repeat because I like kind of bled a lot the last time and uh, everything was going really well. Um, and then they kind of it opened up and eased a bit in the restrictions. So um, we knew that Jer would be there. Obviously, she'd have to wait in the car and then come in for the section. Um, I think we were lucky in terms of the timing of the section. She was kind of around right. um, for that. So that was all good. Um, and then <laughs> the funny thing is we came back and then she said, so I'll, I'll head home. Yeah. And put the kids to bed. And I was like, yes, and see it, see it. I'll see you tomorrow sometime. Um, so it was very much like we have two other kids to be dealing with. So you don't have time to be like completely like self-obsessed, you know, and this time was very different on my, on, on Lachlan. I panicked when I was left alone. Cause I was like, oh, I've never had a baby before I, I don't know what to do with it and I'd also had a c-section quite traumatic so I wasn't able to get up and it's just yeah. a very different experience whereas this time around um I was kind of trying to cheerlead another mother out of the bed after her c-section going come on girl you need to get out because you get up and walking you'll heal better and um and and Willa was so chill like she was so chill like she she didn't really kind of cause me any problems to get up so Jer went home and then towards the end I really started to enjoy it I thought this is a great break I'm catching up with some Netflix and there's a bit of peace and quiet and um you know I don't I didn't think the boys were really missing me um but unfortunately things took a turn for the worst when I went home um I started to feel very unwell on the Friday and to cut a long story short I did end up being admitted to the Beaumont with uh fluid on my lungs and then I I spent a few days by myself postpartum crying like a lunatic in a mask 
for days on end as they tried oh. to figure out what was wrong with me. And the early, the early, the early thing I was told was that I was in that that they thought it was um uh cardiomyopathy, which is not something someone wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Um so after a barrage of tests, and of course during this time I, I breastfeeding had not worked out for me. So you um, brought Willow in. No, I wasn't allowed. I was separated from her. Yeah, oh. I was separated from that time. I, I I just was it was it was not pleasant. But um again, you know, it makes you appreciate things. We survived it and uh she was happy out. I don't think she she noted that. Know. No, it's all it's No, all I just I just it's I mean the staff were amazing. I pumped every three hours. Like a, oh. I was I was I was in a stroke ward, so I was like this demented like new mother after a C section pumping every three hours and they were bringing me like the sterilized uh you know hacker to try and uh you know get it get it out or whatever but um and the milk was going home so it was it was that was rough but it's been smooth sailing it's been smooth sailing since I mean it, she is such a chill baby such a chill baby um do they get more chill as you go along like number two is a little more chill than yeah she she thinks like Every time she sees her brothers, if they walk into the room, she starts laughing. She just oh. thinks they're the business. Um, oh. So, And the boys are thick as thieves. You know, they get into that age where they are constantly wrestling with each other and just, but yeah. they are, they are thick as thieves. Um, so that's, it's pretty cool that we've been able to create a family like this, I guess. Beyond, beyond pretty cool. It's awesome. And I'm so, sorry, that sounds seriously traumatic. What an awful experience. I had no idea when I was asking you about that, what had actually happened. Like COVID is crap anyway for people giving birth, but wow, that's a different level. Um, oh, well, you know what? It's very, it's, uh, I think these things are important sometimes to experience in life because mm-hmm. in those few moments where I was, uh, I think it was like half a day where I, you know, they had kind of told me that this was the diagnosis they were working with. It gives you a real chance for self-reflection. What's important? What are you happy that you've done in your life? And what are you, you know, going to try and do more of? So I think wrapped up in the trauma is a is an extreme appreciation for what you do have. Um, so for me, that's kind of it more was it was life affirming more than anything for me when I look back. Um, and it was all worth it. I mean, if I was younger, would I go again? Yes, I would. I would do it again. Which people think I'm mad. They're like, you've had two really traumatic births. Grayson just, I mean, for God's sake, he just, you know, came out of jur. She, I, I say to her, it's like she backflipped off the bed. Like, you know, she was like mother nature breastfeeding. Um, and actually she was so successful breastfeeding on Grayson that uh, that's what gave me the courage to do it on Willow. So actually I breastfed Willow for six months this time, mm-hmm. um, which I was thrilled as a, as an account, a personal accomplishment for me, but um, yeah, we've just very different in terms of women, I guess, in our bodies. But um, yeah, it was just it's a, and we're very lucky. I will say on the whole, fertility, IVF, and our family, we are the most protected we could be. But there is a lot of families out there who do not share um, these experiences, which is unfortunate. I know. I absolutely know. It, it's a. It's a. Like I said at the beginning, it's a really difficult journey for so many people. Yeah, um, yeah. And talk to me about the post-birth contraception chat. That we'll <laughs> you. <laughs> well, I mean, I know a lot of straight couples will know that uh, the midwife comes around and tells you, um, you yeah. know, you're the most fertile now you'll be after this baby. So, you, you know, contraception's important. 
And the poor midwife is there with her discharge envelope and she's telling us all the things. And she said, now, has anyone talked to you about the, and Jura's sitting beside me. She goes, has anyone talked to you about the, you know, contraception now? And I looked at her and I was like, for, for, for us, for me? And she's like, well, it's very important. Very important. She kind of, and I said, but for, for us, and I kind of pointed at Jura and God love her. She just died. She was like, oh God, oh no, no, oh God. So I was thinking to myself, well, that's the immaculate conception. But um, no, I mean, do you know, the thing is, the interesting thing sometimes about being a same sex couple is people do forget themselves sometimes. Um, My my own sister, when I was pregnant with Lachlan, said, uh, oh, God, I hope the baby gets Jerry's coloring. And I I was like that, that no. Do I have to explain how babies are made to you? Uh, And she was like, oh, God. So which is lovely, I think, because people sometimes just completely forget that there is something um, different. And certainly, you know, we 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 live in a a neighborhood and community that is very, very inclusive and welcoming of our family set up. And and no one. I mean, you know, we joke with a lot of people. I, I remember when I was pregnant telling one of the guys at work, is like, I don't know, you know, we just had a few drinks on Friday night. Things get out of control. And next thing you know, you're pregnant. And he's nodding along. <laughs> I was like, dude, that, that, that didn't happen. You're going to wait for the, for the <laughs> it, realization it moment. Happen like that. So we, we, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We're not, you know, we, we, we keep some things private because uh, I think, as I mentioned to you before, we, we don't want our, we don't want anyone knowing more than our kids know about who mm-hmm. they are. Um, so there is things we keep private, obviously, but we also feel, I think, uh, a need to educate um, people around family creation in Ireland in 2020, uh, 2022 and beyond, because um, fertility for me is like a hidden diversity, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And when I was getting pregnant on Lachlan, I told my boss before I was pregnant because I needed, I had had a lot of fails obviously in the IUI that was affecting me emotionally at work. I'll be totally honest with you. and she she she's joke now, you know, she's a good friend that it was like an elephant pregnancy. It went on for so long because she knew before anyone else. But it's so important, I think, in your workplace to have support from someone when you're going through fertility, because there's so many highs and lows, as you mentioned at the start, that you just need to absolutely ensure that when you have a bad day or, you know, something's happened where you have a fail that mm. you're not going to be at that meeting you're not going to come to work you're not going to be expected to plaster a smile on your face mm. um because it is incredibly emotional i think you know it's something that um employers need to step up to the mark and realize that I- i'm always surprised actually myself because it's quite obvious i've used fertility treatment because we're a gay couple yeah. um i tend to be an agony aunt for a lot of people who are going through fertility because they know without asking me, they know that what I've been through and, and I'm quite open about it. And it's incredible the amount of people who are using some form of support when it comes to fertility or having challenges. Yeah. Um, so it's, 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 it's a hidden diversity fertility, but um, it's, it's probably more common than people realize. Absolutely more. I mean, again, it, it, on image with the amount of people that we see reading articles in regards to fertility is is out of this world. I mean, it's it's a topic that anytime we write about, <clears throat> it gets a huge reaction. And and I love that a hidden diversity is a really, really nice way of putting it, that it's connecting all these people without you knowing that it is. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, and a hugely emotional journey for 
95% of people to do it as well. It's not easy, uh, not easy at all. Um, tell me, have you thought about, or are you already talking to the kids about it? Or have you kind of, do you have a plan or? Well, I mean, the only thing that uh, we absolutely have a plan, like, I mean, we're not going to, you know, we're not raising silly children that don't understand how um, humans are made. So we absolutely are going to be open about it. But mm -hmm. I think like, you know, you have to give kind of age appropriate stories. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as I, I think like Lachlan is four now, he's starting school in September. Um, he kind of does this thing where he goes, I don't have a daddy. And we're like, yeah. And he goes, because I got two mummies. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't. And we're very like, I think it's important. Like we read a lot of books around, you know, again, diversity of families. So mm -hmm. he understands there's single moms. He understands there's families with two dads, two mm -hmm. moms. He understands some kids are raised by their grandparents. So, you know, we try and kind of talk about that as much as we can at home. Mm -hmm. So because we also want him to be sensitive to other people's situations, not just his own. Mm. But I feel like it's important he knows that um, there are many different makeups in families. So he's that, that's kind of like the surface level piece we go to with him. Yeah. Um, you know, when he, he starts to ask deeper questions, we are absolutely going to be honest with them. And they kind of I think I, I read somewhere that, you know, the kids of LGBT uh, couples, they kind of like will have questions at five. And then it kind of goes away maybe until they're like nine or 10. Yeah. So they might ask more questions. But um, our, our intention is to be 100% honest at all times. Mm, okay. uh, I love the idea of little kids in school kind of talking to each other at five, you know, and, and him understanding the diversity of, of people out there and parents out there. I, I said this in a previous episode, but... I was adopted and I went into school with my little book when I was kind of four and five and told everybody my little story. And I just mm -hmm. think when you have children like that who grow up into the world, what a better world the world is going to be, you know, yeah. an understanding. And do you have any advice for kind of couples who are at the beginning of their journey and looking to start out to create a family like yours? Uh, well, you know, on a very practical piece of advice, I would say, look into the legislation in terms of what is um, covered because it might make a ton of sense to like, you know, you want maybe, you know, to know who the donor is or something like that, but that's not currently covered. Yeah. So you'll end up in a situation where the child's born and your, 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 your wife or your husband, well, there's a whole other situation actually there. Gay dads have no rights. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, but in terms of female partners, there is the potential to have rights. Um, if you can, and I say this very mindful of privilege here, right? I am privileged enough to financially be able to do this. Absolutely. Not everyone is. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. know what is going to be the consequences of the choices you make, because um, if you can't be on the birth cert, you cannot make medical decisions for your child. You cannot get a passport or be on the passport you can't you know you're going to find it hard to sign like medical documentation that kind of piece um so be mindful of the implications of your choice but then at the same time choose what is best for your family um and you know choose what works best for you but be aware 
of potential um, impacts because um, you can get guardianship when you live with the child uh, for two years, but it's not the same yeah. as being their parent. And there is implications of that. You can't bring your child on holiday. I remember reading. Because you, you, well, you have to, it, the way it used to be that if I wanted to bring Lachlan on holiday, Jer would have to sign an affidavit to say that she wasn't his parent and she would never make a claim for him. So I had to sign a letter to say I was a single parent. And that's just a lie. So um, there's a lot more work to be done around the legislation for, um, you know, LGBT families. Absolutely. A lot more work to be done and a lot more work to be done around fertility treatments and, and the HSC paying for fertility treatments, which. Absolutely. Yes. It's, absolutely. it's crazy. And, you know, like it, it is now like the factor deciding from, you know, uh, you know, socioeconomic point of view who can have kids and that's not right right because it's, well, it shouldn't be for you know I'm, I'm like well off and um, gay couples are the only people who can have children now in a way that is mm. you know protected by the state mm. and to me that's just not good enough the government need to step up and understand that it's not just it just this doesn't just affect uh, gay couples it affects straight couples too mm. who cannot afford to have fertility treatments and that's not you know everyone should have that opportunity mm. um it's not people's fault to me it's like any other medical condition um mm. that needs to be supported and 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 it is supported in the majority of european union countries um yeah. is exceptional in that so absolutely it's discriminatory and not acceptable in any way um but i don't leave it on the negative note <laughs> we do have to wrap up but I you have that's great advice I think to to do your research and and look at what's important for you in terms of your family and also look at how legislation would potentially affect you um but I I, I want to thank you so much for for joining us this afternoon and I want to like say thank you and say hello to your gorgeous little kids as well um and, and thank you so much. I, that was a fab chat. I really could sit here and talk to you all day. I think there's a huge amount of information that you have and a huge amount of experience as well. So we are very grateful to hear it all. Um, I'm going to be joined now by Ursula Lynch, who is a fertility nurse specialist, who is also going to answer as many of your reader questions as possible. Um, she also is a donor sperm coordinator at Waterstone Clinic. So um, very applicable to the conversation that we have just had. So Ursula, welcome. Hi Dominique, thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. We have so many questions, Great. so many questions. We're delighted to have you. Um, so let's get straight into it. Um, this episode is obviously looking at the fertility journeys of female same-sex couples. Um, so back to the very basics, what options are available to a lesbian couple who are looking to start a family? Well, um, I suppose in our experience, we find that most same-sex couples don't generally have a fertility problem. So they haven't necessarily come with a fertility history. Um, so for the ma vast majority of those couples, uh, they can use a simple treatment called IUI or there's IVF or shared motherhood or more commonly known sometimes as reciprocal IVF as well. So there's quite an array of options available um, depending on what they, how they want to achieve uh, their family in mind or, or you know, what suits them. We had um, Sarah earlier in this episode who was talking about how 
uh, it's a, such a personal decision. And as you said, you know, there, there possibly are not fertility issues. So it really does become a really personal decision, whether you want to carry the child or whether you want your partner to carry your egg, or there's a lot of different options available. Um, to what you're referring to there, IUIs, artificial insemination, yes. and IVF is obviously in vitro. And then mm -hmm. reciprocal IVF is when one partner carries the other partner's egg. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's becoming really popular now and it's a really lovely option so that um, both partners can feel included and involved. And so it's, it's great that that's an option. Yeah. And talk to me about cost and the kind of average cost for a fertility journey like say reciprocal IVF reciprocal IVF so um it's 6,500 for the treatment itself and then outside of that you have your separate donor sperm costs um so you know we talk about donor sperm and straws so you have your cost of your straws on average it's about eight or nine hundred euros per straw um, and then your cost of shipping um so, so that's the kind of costs involved and obviously your initial consultation so yeah that's that's for shared motherhood so you're looking like seven eight thousand probably all in. yeah yeah for for shared motherhood yes okay yeah and that's for one round yes for one round yes yeah. yes and and hopefully off that you that you um, have embryos created. So the fertilized egg is an embryo and with, with the future to be able to use those embryos for another cycle. Um, so then you, you have your costs of, of storing those embryos as well in the clinic. But it's lovely. We've had couples who've had, you know, their whole families from one IVF cycle and that's that's magic. Yeah, that is amazing. Yeah, amazing. it is. And, and more cost effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is expensive. Yeah, it is. Yeah, unfortunately. And how long is that kind of process from beginning to end? Um, if, if you're lucky enough for it all to go kind of smoothly in one round? Yeah, so you have your initial consultation where you meet with a consultant and a fertility nurse specialist and they go through your options. And then on from there, um, everyone undertaking donor sperm process meets our in-house counsellor first. So she just you know, just uh, to have a chat. It's not like conventional counseling because I think sometimes you mention counseling, you're you're afraid you're going in there, you know, talking about your childhood. That's completely optional. Uh, but no, it's more just have you thought through um, how it's going to work and just as a support. Um, and then on to meet myself. And so I'm one of the donor sperm team. Um, and we, uh, at that consultation, I go through all options and, and more blood tests that are required. And from there, then actually getting the straws into the clinic takes about three months. So three to four months. The most varial part I find that that is, um, is actually choosing the donor. So some people are really quick at it and some people take a little bit longer, but, but whatever works. So talk to me about it, about the process, because I think it's something that a lot of people are really interested in and I think there's a lot of kind of myths around it as well that you know do you have a book in front of you where you're literally <laughs> pictures of people Is I know movies would have had at this stage would have been very much oh someone took home a book and yeah. you looked through the book no thankfully it's a little bit different to that so when I meet people I, I like I, I see as myself as a guide to you know it, it can be an overwhelming process sometimes you know a lot of information has been thrown at you and where do you start and how, how do you do it so Generally, in my consultation, I go through necessary bloods that we might need to do, the legislation surrounding, um, you know, donor sperm, 
And then down to the really fascinating, interesting part of who were the donors. So yeah, I, I love this section. Um, so we we bring sperm from, it's an international sperm banks we use. So Ireland doesn't have its own sperm banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like many different information available on the donors. So there's baby pictures. You can have an add-on of adult pictures. Um, that's not for everyone. Um, some people like it, some people don't. And then there's voice recordings of the donor, uh, personality information in terms of their hobbies, interests, um, their lifestyle and so on, and their educational, occupational background, the medical background of the donor and the donor's family. Um, and then there's an attitude test uh, carried out on the donors as well in terms of emotional intelligence and uh, temperament, depending on what um, sperm bank we use. So um, it's great. There's, there's information there for everybody because not everybody wants all that information in one go. So people tend to come at it from many different ways. The two most common ways are um, the education, occupational background of the donor and the donor's health and the direct family member's health. So I find that's the two most areas of interest for people. But I love seeing what donors get chosen by what people, um, you know, and and how people go through that process. Um, And there's no right or wrong way to do that. And I always say to everyone I meet, there's no perfect donor, but equally, there's no perfect person. So you just need to remember that in the process. I, I, sorry, I have so many questions just from what you just said. <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> so first of all, there must be, for these men who are going and donating sperm, you know, I'm imagining if you can see all this information, there must be people who very rarely get picked, like unless you have, you know, all of these things, you know, that you're reasonably intelligent, that you're sporty, that you have yes. health, that you, you know, all these different things. Um, so there must be quite a high quality of 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 people of of men they do go through quite a rigorous screening process so um unfortunately not everyone makes it just basis on you know is their sperm count okay that's number one and then there's a sexual health screening are they going to get through that and then then they're into the personality side of it so uh, um, only about 9% of the donors, only 9% of the men that apply actually get used. So wow. that's very, but the, equally that's comforting. Very comforting. To know that they go through that rigorous screening process. High quality. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. where are they coming from internationally? So we uh, import from Denmark um, at the moment. We're hoping to very soon to have uh, an American sperm bank on board as well, just to just open up options for people. So Unfortunately, one of the negative side effects of the process at the moment is COVID has hit our donors like COVID has everything. Um, But basically sperm donors are recruited on university campuses. So they've been closed more or less for the last 18 months. So there's definitely um, a decline in the number of donors available to, um, to patients. So I'm hoping with maybe the American Sperm Bank and maybe restrictions lifting that that will improve going forward. And are the donors being paid? Is that, is that um, under EU law? You can't actually pay a donor, but you can reimburse them for, for their time. 
So um, they get the equivalent of about fifty pounds per donation. So it's it's they're not living off this. You know, a lot of them do it. Um, there's a there's a question in there on each of their profiles is why you want to be a donor, and I, I find this part fascinating. Yeah. You know, you have your general ones that say they just wanted to help someone, and then you have ones who say I knew a same sex couple who had gone through it, and I saw how wonderful that was, or I was brought up by um a single mom and I saw how how she did it and I I just want to help people so you know that's so nice isn't it it's lovely yeah Yeah. it is really nice yeah and you touched on there the legal ramifications we talked about this uh earlier in the episode we touched on it with Sarah but can you tell us in more detail I know that the the act um the families relationships act yeah acted in 2020 2020 yes it was so um Thankfully, Irish law now protects um, people who are using donor sperm. So under the legislation, the person who gives birth is considered the mother and their partner is considered the parent and the donor is not considered the parent. So, you know, sometimes that comes up quite a bit. So thankfully, um, that legislation came in because before that, it was a lengthy court process. People were applying for retrospective parentage. And, and, and that was a minefield to, and also unnecessary, really. It really needed to come in and, and it was great. And um, we were really proud to be involved in the first same-sex couple who um, registered their babies, who they had their first birthday recently. Um, and they, I, I believe he had them on image to tell their story. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're delighted for them. I'm very proud that that happened and that we were able to support them. Yeah, yeah, about time, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it was about time, yeah. And um, in terms of donor sperm, with the new act, you still have to have a traceable donor sperm. Yeah, so it has to be contactable, non-anonymous, open donor. And, and only the child at 18 can initiate contact with the donor. So the donor can't come looking for information and, and equally the parents can't go looking for information either. It has to be the child at 18. Yeah. And I have a quite a specific question here um, from a reader who's talking about uh, having two children using an egg from each of them. So using um, reciprocal IVF as well as IUI. And she's asking, would one increase fertility for the other? So does the order matter whether you do IUI first and then IVF or it doesn't matter at all? Um, This kind of comes back to having your consultation and actually both getting assessed and then seeing which is a viable option and discussing through your plans, because I think we've been led on actually the ovarian reserve of either and seeing which is the best order to go through first. Um, whether it's IUI first or equally the partner equally does an IVF cycle and banks those embryos for future use. So, you know, it's about having that conversation. You know, we want to support people as much as we can in terms of giving them the family they want, the way they want. But equally, we have to be honest about uh, what's the best option to, to, to do that. Yeah, medically. Medically, yeah. Medically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and on that kind of... Um... On that, what is the best advice, really, an overarching advice that you would give a same-sex couple that's kind of looking to start a family? Just get in contact. And um, unfortunately, we all know that uh, the female anatomy doesn't go on forever. Um, So get in contact, get your assessment. You know, you can decide whether you want to do it now or you do it down the road. Um, And just find out the information. So, you know, knowledge is power. 
Yeah, it's what we're hearing time and time again. Yeah, they yeah. Just start. Just start. Just make that phone call and get yeah. the advice and go yeah. from there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's a really good place for us to leave it. Thank very, you. Very quick chat. But thank uh, you so much for all of the information. Oh, thank you, Dominic.